What's Tennessee normally? Yeah, well, you're from Wisconsin, right? <laughs> well, 46 is warm. Tennessee uh, normally, yeah, Tennessee would be like 30, 40, 50s okay. even. Um, it's very back and forth. But like 8 degrees is super unusual, so this is not pleasant for anyone. I think 8-ish with some kind of crazy wind chills, maybe the coldest I've been in. I was walking around Boston, and oh, it was yeah. like, yeah, 8, and it had some wind chill that was negative, and that was wild. That I, I wouldn't leave my house. Yeah, the coldest I think I've been was um, winter of 2014. Actually, it was very early 2015 when my uh, grandson was born. We were in Nova Scotia, and it was the the year that there was just so much snow everywhere. Like, like there were empty lots full of snow because that's that didn't melt because yeah. they had to put it somewhere. Uh, and it would the wind chill at you know three o'clock in the morning or whatever it was. I got on, had to get a into a cab to go to the airport. It was like negative six or negative seven. That was that. my that's my my coldest with wind chill. You guys get snow and stuff, Pete, or is it just uh, just uncomfortably cold? Uh, we get a little bit of snow, a few inches a year, but nothing like Wisconsin. Like um, this would be a typical day in winter in Wisconsin, and it was so cold this morning for Tennessee. Probably the coldest has been since I've moved here uh, seven years ago. That the gym door, like when I went to unlock it. It was frozen. It would, the key wouldn't turn. Oh fuck! <laughs> so that's, that's, that's pretty, pretty dang cold. cold. Yeah, we don't have that here. We're on with Pete Rubich in case people didn't like read the title of this episode. And uh, are you at your gym right now, or are you at home? Or yes, yeah, I'm at my gym, and it's it's a little chilly in here. Even it's probably like 55 degrees because the heat won't go any warmer, and uh, it's just. You work with what you got, but it's it's pretty cold. Fifty five is liftable though. Like we're we're uninsulated in here, uh, and we're we're in the back of our gym too. And so, like, yeah, fifty degrees inside the gym. We just keep the doors down. We have big old rolling gates. Um, and fifty is doable. You know, I'll squat and deadlift in it. Yeah, people are here. Yeah, thirty thirty or something might get a little weird, but hopefully Sacramento doesn't get any colder. It's a little hot in the summer, but like yeah. if people say it's a dry heat, it's a drier heat. I don't mind that though. Lifting in heat doesn't really. It doesn't bother you. No, not at all. A lot, of, a lot of us have issues with it. Yeah, lifting in the cold hurts, like literally hurts. Yeah. My knees. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't. I really don't like to be cold. I'd, I'd rather be hot than cold. Yeah, same. same. And I think, I think I may have flipped on that at some point, but I think it's true. Lifting in life's a little different too. Pete, how long has your gym been open, man? You've been through the adventures uh, similar to us where um, you're a beautifully young man, young at soul, <laughs> but you're an OG in the game already. Um, and so now we're the old heads owning gyms before we were just little cracked out kids snorting pre-workout. Um, yeah. How long has your uh, gym been going or open and how's it going? Yeah. So it's been open for three years now. And I mean, the thing with a gym, to be honest, is you just, you don't profit much off it. It's not like a, a profit generating business. It's, It's more a labor of love. So, um, I think people have a misconception sometimes that like, you're making all this money when you're barely squeaking by paying, you know, rent and uh, utilities and stuff. But, you know, I do love it. It gives people a place to go. It gives them kind of like a home away from home and you build a community. So we've done that here and it's very small. It's 3,600 square feet. Um, and we're, you know, we don't have tall ceilings or anything, but we just, uh, we, we started this, this space back in 2020, right before COVID hit and we're still going. So it's been it's been quite the experience. A lot of time and effort went into it, but 
you know, I do love what we have here and we don't have a ton of equipment even, but it's just become a place where it's almost a sanctuary for people. That that rings familiar for us. We're in a, a bigger space. You've been in our gym. You just it, it, we're in what was Midtown Strength and and Super Training back in the day, um, and so I mean we're what fifty six hundred ish square feet. Um, it's it's uh, um, you know when we built it out, it was during COVID. We had to order equipment during COVID when there were supply chain issues and all that kind of stuff. We went with. Um, uh, the best we could do at the time in terms of, you know, just getting deliveries. It took us three months to get equipment for heaven's sakes. Um, but yeah, we, we started out with the, here are all the basics and you can make it work from here in terms of equipment. And we're slowly, you know, padding things out now. Yeah. I think you're right though. People do have a misconception. I I even had it as just like a kid. I thought if anyone owned a business, they're going to be rich as shit. You know, I'd hear like, oh, you know, my friend's dad does this for, he's a, owns a plumbing company. I'm like, damn, that dude's probably crushing it. He's probably so rich. Uh, but like, so it's so job dependent and like you can make a shit ton of money on gyms, but you know, then you're looking at like Orange Theory, you're looking at F45s or something where you're just running people in and out the door all day long and you're franchising and it's all commercialized. Um, I'm sure it's the same with anything else like coffee. You open up a little mom and pop coffee shop because you love the art of espresso and you're going to like get by. Yeah. But you start franchising and roasting coffee and all this shit. And yeah, you could probably make some money. But that's not the world any of us come from. You know, no. uh, you, you, you rang, you know, the words that stay so true to us. And like our whole goal is just community because people don't have a community. And all of us found it. And that's how we met Pete is we had an online community because there's no such thing going on in person. Oh, dude, this guy's a maniac and he deadlifts in his parents' basement. I deadlift in a cold gym in Sacramento. Like we're got to be similar enough to be friends, you know? Yeah. And uh, the gym, I mean, I don't know how it is for you guys, but like I wake up every day on weekdays at least at 4:30 a.m. and I'm here till about 7:30 p.m. and it's just uh it's a lot but you know I still I still do love it I love not having like a boss and there's just a lot that goes into it that people don't see a lot of maintenance a lot of um you know tax stuff and and issues like that but it's it's been enjoyable uh, for the most part it's a, it's stressful but it's enjoyable yeah yeah, we we have similar similar uh, paths for sure. We did all those hours, and luckily now we got a little staff going, so we we don't we get to sleep in a little bit, or I get to stay in the warmth until yeah. ten in the morning or so. Yeah, as of you know, reasonably recently, neither one of us is regularly working at the desk, so that's something. Um, but uh, yeah, no, we've been lucky to find um, people who were about it. You know, the people, next generation. Yeah, people. Yeah, really seriously, the next generation, like. 10 years younger than Mike and 12 years younger than Mike. Seabass is 22, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, who were about it and they brought in, um, you know, more of that that age group. And, and you, you need to have that as well, you know, to grow. Because those are the people who haven't busted themselves up yet. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know how it is for you. I know you guys, but... This sounds funny. I feel like the old guy now in like powerlifting and like in in strength. And I see all these guys, the up and comers, the younger guys in their twenties. I'm like, oh, I remember what that was like. But now I feel like I'm the old guy who's been around forever, and I, I'm kind of washed <laughs> up now. And admittedly, and uh, it's just it's a weird transition where you kind of have to accept that you're no longer at your yeah. peak, and it's a new generation. And 
it's it's one of those things. Yeah, I mean, it obviously, like, exploded at the times. You were still, like, absolutely smashing weights, you know? 2014, 15, 16, 17 is, like, such a renaissance for the sport. Um, but I felt like another huge one happened during COVID, where, like, we were build literally physically building the gym, so I was kind of checked off online, like, doing those long hours and then, like, just painting and shit all day. I just went home and disappeared, you know, because mm. we had to do it the next day. So I wasn't paying attention. But this last year, I've kind of stuck my nose back into the – grander scheme in the community and like TikTok, the usapl like the usapl and ipf are obviously doing well anyways but they've like exploded with talent and exploded in popularity um and then TikTok, you know like yeah the bodybuilding's still hu huge if not bigger than ever because of sebum and stuff but there's all these kids like deadlifting kind of like er you early days of youtube there's all these like kids you've never heard of nowhere. Now they're all deadlifting seven, eight hundred pounds on TikTok. You're like, God damn, dude, these kids are everywhere. It's crazy. Do you do you feel negative in any way about that? I just had this conversation with Barquan. We were lifting in his garage. Talk about cold. Las Vegas gets cold, man. Yeah. And we're we're training at like seven in the morning, so the sun's barely up. It was pretty chilly. And I was like, dude, do you get like uh to Bart? I was like, dude, do you, you get offended by like the term OG? Because I went to one of Russ Swole's meet, shout out to Russ, and it was really well put on. I'm looking around, and like everyone in line to talk to people or get pictures, um, we're all in line with people that wanted to say hi to me, but there was no line with me. And so I was like, oh, I'm the old head now. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh, this is kind of weird. Like you said, I had that same vision. I was like, oh, this is kind of weird. Like, like all the kids winning the meet, like they came and said, what's up? And then everyone else here is here to meet the guy that won the meet. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's humbling because it's probably it's a fraction of the attention of what there used to be, um, even like five six years ago for me because it's just a newer generation. It's it's kind of crazy now. You'll you'll realize people yeah. don't even know who like yeah. Dan Green is or who Brandon Lilly is, and I'm like, those were the guys. When I was kind of up and coming, you know, and now, you know, I'm in the same boat. Some people, sometimes people don't know who I am and it's just uh, a lot's changed. So it's almost like your 15 minutes of fame. It's going to run out no matter who yeah. you are. Even if you're John Hack, John Hack's kind of the, the well-known. He's the guy right now. His 15 minutes of fame is eventually going to run out and people eventually yeah. will forget about him. And that's just the cycle. And I kind of feel like, um, I've, and I've talked about it with him. I kind of feel like I'm seeing that mm -hmm. with, uh, with Kaler now, Kaler Wollum, where he's kind of been passed up by other people and he's had a lot of injuries which i've dealt with as well that he's kind of on the back end of his career and he was the guy who came right after me and it's just like that it's just everyone is 15 minutes of fame and it's going to run out and then you're not the guy everyone's yeah. standing in line for people don't even care so it's it's really humbling yeah how does that affect you does that affect you mentally at all like personally um you know mine any attention I've ever gotten on the internet was just from having like a big mouth. You know, I just talk. Uh, it's not because I'm like that strong. Like I'm medium strong. Uh, but you're a, a fucking tank, dude. Like you've lifted weights that are out of 99.9% .9 of what humans can even fathom, let alone lift in their lifetime. And yeah, the next best will always come. Like obviously Jamal Browner's around and what he does is is the next level. But Jamal Browner doesn't exist without Pete Rubish and without Dan Green. And, and, and that's just the fact. And whether people pay attention to that or not, I'm sure Jamal does. Jamal's a great dude and like a historian of the game. Because the two words that I, I lean on on everything I do is community, which we already covered, and culture. And culture to me is you have to kind of tilt your hat to what's behind 
Um, I was talking to our buddy Pug, uh, Ricky, who's a really, really top-level USAPL kid. I think he's pulled like 770 at 67 kilos or something stupid. Um, squats, you know, six, benches four. And jokingly, um, he's like, dude, Mike, you'd be really strong if you didn't have to do like bullshit training for eight years. And I was like, yeah, man. Like <laughs> there was no like coaches. Like we didn't know what we were doing, bro. Like he's like, yeah, if you like started where I I was like, yeah, dude, like jokes aside like we blazed the trail for your little dumbass to be strong like i fucked up i ate no carbs for three years thinking it was going to help me so now you can eat carbs like you're welcome you know but the truth is uh that's fact and so i mean you're still very strong you just competed and smashed some weights but um what what maybe affects you more mentally like you not being able to lift the same amount of weights that you used to or be in the conversation of like the best deadlifter on the on planet earth or does it affect you more um that yeah, maybe we're just getting older, and and you're you're, you know, not as uh, popular on the internet. Yeah, I think it's um, it was harder for a number of years to kind of come to terms with that. Like it's like an NFL athlete, you know, who's a star running back or whatever, and then three years later, they're, you know, they're they're out of the NFL or whatever, and all that fame and attention is fleeting. So it kind of like what opened my eyes was. Just the difference in how people treat you from when you're like at the top to when you're not on your A game anymore. You're kind of washed up. So not even like necessarily in a direct way as far as um, treating you poorly, but it's just you're just kind of forgotten. Like you're just kind of uh, you're just another somebody basically after you're used to all the attention and all the uh, the praise all the time. And that's just gone. So it's kind of like the rugs pulled out from under you and you have to come to terms with that. And nowadays, like, I don't even necessarily want the attention because I have a family and I'm just like, I'm over it at this point. I don't need the fame or whatever. Um, but I, I, I still want to stay somewhat relevant to keep my businesses going and such. And that's more the motivation. So it's kind of like finding this balance between health and continuing to try to be strong. But it's it's definitely it's one of the, the things I think a lot of people are going to struggle with mentally, this this crop of, of lifters, because their time is going to come where they're no longer the, the the big thing. And it's just everybody faces that to some degree where it's like, you know, when you're at your peak and everyone's praising you, you have all this attention. Um, you get all these views like my views are a fraction of what they used to be on, on videos and such. Um, I think my Instagram's gone down like 20, 25,000 people. <laughs> I'm not. It's crazy. Um, so it's just these little things where it's like, you know, you're no longer the guy and it's. It's tough, but I've more accepted it, you know, over the last couple of years. Yeah, there's a really good quote, and I, I should like memorize it better. But uh, John Mayer was being interviewed, the guitar player, um, about like the mental health and popularity, mm-hmm. and he's always seemed so even keeled. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of his music, but I've been a huge fan of him just because he's into fashion or whatever mm-hmm. else. But he like said, you know, and it's just basically true. He's like, dude, humans are made to be judged, or like we're wired to be judged by like ten people a day. Right. Like you walk by someone in the grocery store or the, the, the coffee shop or whatever. Now, all of a sudden, we're all being judged and criticized by thousands of people a day. Yeah. And we're like meeting, quote unquote, meeting thousands upon thousands of people a day. Like that's going to fuck anybody up. Like no one's made for that. Um, and I do think some people can handle it better than others. But to your fact or to your to your point, I think uh, the come down is going to crush a lot of people. But I even think a lot of people can't handle attention at the top. You know, I follow people on Instagram that are having like breakdowns every other day, and, you know, like mentally, physically, yeah. whatever it is. I'm like, dude, like, 
I, I understand you're just a human, and we all are athletes, celebrities, singers, silly people on the internet like us. Um, but like, there's a little bit of like responsibility that comes along with some of this. Um, like, do you take your following serious or not? And that's something I've always, I've always um, pointed to you and a few others that have handled the whole like steroid talk well over the years because it's a fine line of like uh, lying, um, promoting it, and then being like transparent with what you're doing or not. Um, and I and I've always thought the way you handled it and a couple other people we know for sure have handled it better um, than than than, than s- say the Liver King. Yeah, for sure the Liver King, but like. Like and there's everything in between too, where other people are just lying. You know, I've seen like pro body, modern pro bodybuilders just saying like, "Yeah, I'm basically on TRT dose." I'm like, "There's just no way, dude. You're you're literally the best bodybuilder in the world. Like, that's just not happening. Why are we, why are we lying? You know, like either don't take the fu- or the rock, just yeah. don't take the fucking question and ignore it, um, or be as honest as you can without like promoting it as a thing. Um, that's been a bit uh, a part of your journey and. I've noticed, uh, I didn't watch the whole video, but I know you've done a couple videos on, um, training without it or training at different doses, et cetera, et cetera. How does that, uh, affect, obviously it affects your training, um, but how does it affect the mental roller coaster of, of kind of shifting down in a sense, uh, in your training? Yeah, it's, uh, it's tough sometimes to not go on, you know, hormone replacement because even I think if I like ran a hundred milligrams of, t- of testosterone a week. I think I'd add like a hundred pounds to my deadlift. So I'm, 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 I haven't thrown that out the window as far as the idea of that, because my levels, they've yeah. never really bounced back. Truthfully, I was kind of hoping they would, which was the point of the whole experiment. And it's been 25 months over two years. And I've checked it like 10 times over those two years. The highest it was, was 409 for the nanograms per deciliter, which is quite low. And this last one was like 271. So it's not optimal levels at all for strength building. But at the same time, it's kind of like a challenge because back in the day when I started steroids at 20, I uh, I didn't give myself that time to build the base without them. I just kind of jumped on them as the shortcut to, uh, to really push things when I could have kept building for many years. So I'm almost like trying to reverse that where it's like I want to take the time now to build up the base under the most difficult circumstances. And then if later on, you know, five years down the road, two years down the road, whatever, I decide to hop on TRT you know, I'll get a big boost, but I don't ever see myself cycling again. And I'm okay with that. Just from a health perspective, getting older, becoming a father, all that sort of thing. Back in the day, it was weird. Like, uh, I guess Brandon was pretty young too, but some of the names you mentioned were all in like their mid to late thirties when they're absolutely crushing weights. Stan obviously is like the easy one to point to, like changed the game in so many ways, but also, uh, and even still, like, I think he just pulled seven at the Olympia or something silly, you know, like he's an absolute tank and he looks insane. Um, but nowadays, people are burning out at like age twenty-seven. Yeah, and not that I've I've ever been at the level that you competed at or the level of any of those names mentioned. But like I've competed and trained this way for twelve years, and I'm going to hit a new PR this year, and I'm thirty-four. So like it's possible. But um, do you think that the because and I used to say it too, and so I'm almost arguing myself here, where the, I thought the optimal age of like powerlifting was maybe infinite or like late thirties or forties if you could stay healthy and just train long enough. But I'm kind of backtracking on my thought there where. Maybe that was just the case because those guys didn't go hard until they were 30, you know? And so yeah. then you could reach your peak at, at 36 or 40, um, where now guys are more like you and they're they're absolutely crushing weights at like 16, 17, 18, 19, and then reaching their top level strength. Like, what's Jamal? I think Jamal's 28. 
and and I know he's been training for a very long time. Him and I used to talk when he was a USAPL kid, you know, and he was 20 years old. So those guys have been doing it forever. Do you think people are going to top out a little bit earlier with their strength? Like where, what's like the, what's the, the optimal age to power lift? Like every other sports, what, 26 or something? Basketball, football, you know, kind of where maturity meets meets a a, baseball. If you're not in the major leagues by the time you're 26, you're probably not gonna. Yeah, so 26 there, track and field, probably 25, 26. Weightlifting, same thing. Olympics. Yeah, I I think um, like there's a misconception with the younger lifters we see, like 18 years old pulling 800 pounds or whatever, or 20. And I think there's a misconception that oh, they're gonna hit such you know, astronomical numbers because they're hitting these numbers so young. But in reality, they're probably going to burn out sooner, which is what I've seen. Like, it doesn't really matter if you see these really young guys hitting huge numbers because usually it leads to them burning out quicker at a younger age, which was the case with me even, you know, I, my peak strength was like um, 26, 27. That was at my my prime. And then after that, it was kind of uh, downhill as far as Either not responding to the steroids as well, more injuries, things like that. But at that point, I'd been in the game for, you know, 12 years or so. So it just, it's not really, yeah. it's its where you start, how young you are when you start. That defines your optimal age later on. Because you only have so many reps. You only have so much wear and tear your body can handle. So you can start younger, but it means you're going to peak out sooner. And that's why I think a lot of these other guys, they maybe started a little later. They had more potential into their 30s their bodies were holding up better. Because I remember the days of going in the gym, you could just jump in the squat rack, squat, you know, all the way down, no pain or anything, and that's impossible now. There's no way I could do that. That actually brings up a a question. Um, We have this basic theory that the real raw revolution in powerlifting kind of started in this building with the backyard meet of the century 10 years ago, which you were um, definitely featured in. Um, sort of two part question. One of them has to do with like, how did that come about and what was that experience like for you? And number two, the most common comment on my videos from that, uh, from the, the, particularly the squat videos from that meet is only Pete is really squatting to depth, which isn't really true, but you were really buried all of those squats. And I know now, um, squatting is not like central to your training. Um, just be, because of mechanical issues and pain and whatever. So um, can you just give us your thoughts on both those things. Yeah, that meet was really the the first, you know, my first major, major meet, major um, national type stage event. So that was uh, when I got like kind of introduced to big time powerlifting and that kind of, you know, blew my name up, got my name out there a little more. And really with the squat, I just didn't even know any better. I didn't know what knee sleeves were. They weren't really a thing yeah. at the time. Everyone was doing knee wraps. And I just remember knee wraps were very uncomfortable and painful, <laughs> and I didn't want to do that. So I didn't know about knee sleeves. They weren't a thing. Um, I didn't know what low bar was. I just I, – I was so clueless. Like I just – most of my training was beltless. It just was how it was. I didn't know any better. So um, – and back then there wasn't all the hip issues and stuff because I was fairly new to squatting. So I just could do that. I could push the envelope like that, and stuff wasn't out there like it is now. The information, kind of like you said, where it's like um, the training programs and all that, it wasn't out there. You just trained hard. You didn't know any better. Uh, Same with steroids and all that. There wasn't protocols in place. It was all just getting it from some guy who made it in his basement um, through one of your buddies. 
So you, you just, you knew people who knew people and they, they would make it in their basements or whatever and you'd have infections and it was unsterile. And <laughs> it was just so underground compared to now where everything's out in the open because of Instagram, really. How you're talking makes me feel so old, dude. It's only eight years ago, right? You're talking like we're in the fucking 70s or something. I know. It's true, though. Eight years ago, dude, people didn't wear knee sleeves. Like, there's no companies. Like, Ray-Ban, kind of. My first ones were Tommy Kono's, and that's no. just because Elite FTS, it was the only neoprene sleeve Elite FTS sold. You right. couldn't find a fucking... I was the... I swear, I was the first one to wear knee sleeves in fucking super training. Like, everyone's wearing wraps or nothing. I'm like, dude... That wraps hurt. I was the same as you. I was like, this shit fucking hurts, and my shit's cold. Like, I, I need some sleeves. I had some Ray-Bans that, uh, from the Gillinghams that they sold on on Amazon. You know? I, I, I don't even think I paid for them. I think that we, it's something that was Yeah, Ray-Ban was, was the only company. Us. Yeah. And they didn't do anything. They were like, nothing. They might have kept your knees warm-ish. Yeah, that's why I need a little warmth. Sweat behind them or something, but that's kind of it. What, um... Yeah, like, uh, there was no other big meets really at all. Like, rum came about in maybe 2012, 2013. Yeah, and there was, um, was it called? New England Record Breakers, oh. I think, before that. Uh, for um, Raw Guys? Uh, it was a Raw meet, it, and um, the there was an attempt at the um, at the all-time Raw bench record. Back then, and I don't remember if if, any, if it was actually made, but you know, I mean, some some of the multiply guys like Donnie Thompson or whatever did that did yeah. that meet. So I remember Rum, and that would be the invite you guys and some big heads, and then that's kind of like it. You're right; like there was no national meets. Where now it seems like every two months there's going to be something. You know, there's some kind of pro raw something, um, and that's a huge evolution in eight years. You know, like we're still so far behind so many other sports in so many ways in terms of money and pay and union and sponsorships and everything. But to see where it's come from, you know, the backyard meet by name was a little bit of a joke and a meme. Yeah. Um, but it really was a backyard meet. Like, yeah, there's nothing <laughs> that special about that meet besides, yeah, we put it on the Internet and some other people didn't do that. Yeah, and there were a lot of people in from from out of town. Yeah. 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 Know. Yeah. Obviously the big names. We but. we had we had Stan on um, um, a month or so ago to talk about this a little bit and he gave us almost nothing. But I mean, I know that he was he was somewhat behind people bringing bringing people in for that meet. Like he contacted people and and kind of made it happen in a way that um, I don't think anybody had really done before. Yeah, when you were listening to Eminem and screaming your tits off, pulling eight hundred in the basement, who were you watching? Like, were you aware of like Stan Efferding and like Dan Green at the time? Like, I I was only aware of that stuff because I was the new guy at Super Training, and so I was like trying to act not act cool, but like get learnt you know i was like oh like i know i'm in a real gym right now kind of same idea as that culture like i want to pay respect to what's going on and pay respect to what's old and so like i bought every louis simmons book because i knew mark came from there and i read it all like I, I wanted to pay my respects to the game i was dipping my feet into but you know you were just like on an island which i almost respect more like i had a, i already had a culture i stepped into a culture you were just lifting by yourself getting strong as shit um yeah did you watch youtube or did, did you read shit How, how'd you learn at all um i think i was aware of like i watched dan green brandon lily those were kind of the main main guys and then the lily bridges because i they were two hours south of me where they lived and i would go down there from time to time to train with them chris hickson so those were all the guys kind of in that circle and then lehman came along and um it's humbling to like look at that meat and that footage and just 
it's it's it blows my mind because um so many of those guys is just i don't know i don't know where they are what's going on and like chris chris passed away and um brent willis disappeared pretty much i don't know what i i no one can get a hold of him no one knows where he is um vince urbank same kind of thing uh eric spoto kind of you know faded away it's just everyone a lot of those guys it's just yeah we don't even know where they are so it's like it blows my mind i'm like that was 2013 14 and i'm like holy smokes it's not even a decade later and so much has changed so i know that's you know things change but it's um i don't know it's humbling it's just it's crazy to think about Yeah, the landscape is definitely different. Like I said, I went. We went to. Um, there's a big, like, kind of California USAPL meet that they did a mini expo around, and we went there. And there's like very few familiar faces. We made new friends, which is cool. Um, but like, just a whole new generation, and like how they treat the sport and love the sport, and they do. They love it. And these 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 younger crowds are all about it, and they train hard, and they, they buy the equipment, and they get after it. Um, but I don't know if they know, yeah, what laid the road even 10 years ago, eight years ago, which is funny. And then going to Russ's meet, you know, Russ is another one that's like just hitting his peak popularity. I think he has a couple more years of big strength in him. Um, but he knows, like he knows, he knows the roots of the game. You know, he knows the roots of the sport. He's, he's like kind of a young OG in in a sense, um, which is cool. And I, I think a lot of the guys that are smashing weights know Bob, uh, who's taken the USAPL by storm, just pulled like eight thirty or something stupid. Um, you know, Bob's been in the game, I think, and watched a lot of stuff and knows what's going on. Um, so it is, it is interesting because like, there's no way you get drafted in the NBA right now and don't know who Michael Jordan is or fucking Larry Bird. You know, but in our sport, like you said, maybe maybe it's the characters that came before, yeah, disappearing. Like, why is our culture so split? And it's always been a little split with the natty shit and the non-natty shit. But that's always been a little bit, which I think is stupid because we're all lifting barbells and like, it's kind of like knee sleeves and non-knee sleeves. Like, why can't we just take it for what it is? Who cares? Like, that was really strong for non-knee sleeves, and this is really strong for knee sleeves. Like, it doesn't really matter to me if if you're lifting weights. Um, but for some reason, there's like a gap in generations in our culture. Yeah, I think that's true. And it was, I mean, it was really true back, you know, at at the time that I got involved with powerlifting and then coming into the, the sort of raw age, you know, eight, nine years later where, um, it was a different kind of freak show to go to a multiply meet like a U.S. I mean, uh, um, APF seniors, you know, 2005, 2006, 2007. It was a different kind of freak show than what you see now um, because everyone was purple, yeah. <laughs> you know, Large. and and really, really big. And, um, and in that time, because of the gear, there was sort of less of a focus on on having a halfway de- decent physique, and you were just fat, and yeah. you needed the fat to 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 make the gear work. Uh, whereas now, everyone's jacked, and so many of them are tested. You know, and in USAPL, everyone, you know, you you can you have some level of confidence yeah. that they got there on their own, and they just happen to be you know, gifted with muscularity that responds to, to training. Um, and I can see how, um, the younger generation might not have an, an appreciation for the older, yeah, the older folks because they don't look the same. And 
you with know? multiply maybe but, yeah. but like the raw is what i even mean like 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 pizza like i bet you ha- more than half of folks nowadays have no clue who dan green or, or or bird dog lily is like they have no idea pete do you notice at your gym um how many people know like you and kind of what you do at your gym like members and then um how many people at your gym uh are like competitive power lifters versus people that just kind of deadlift and shit um so we're so small that we have a pretty good balance. Like most of the, basically our gym is like half people compete and then half, um, I'd say women to middle-aged women who are like doing group classes cool. and, and learning strength training. So just getting introduced to the bar and everything. But it's kind of funny because uh, even now, like we had this guy come in uh, a couple of weeks ago. This is a funny story. And he comes in, he's like a strong kid, USAPL. I think he's 19, 20 years old. And he's deadlifting like 672, um, squatted like 585, you know, strong. And he asked me, he goes, so like, have you competed before? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, I'm like. <laughs> yeah, right. And I didn't, I'm not trying to, I didn't try to big time the guy or anything. I was like, I was like, yeah, I've done a few meets in my time, you know. And, but yeah, it's just kind of crazy because like people could even come in visiting to your own gym and they, they don't know like you know who you are your history so it's just eye-opening because there's a lot more moments like that now especially now that i'm not like as big as i was obviously i'm a lot smaller and it's just uh (laughs) i got a kick out of that one though because that's that's just sums it up like and powerlifting's just grown i think beyond you know what we all know like it was it's still so niche but like when we all knew it like literally everyone knew everyone yeah you know like you, you you knew them in a crowd. You yes, at least say yeah. what's up or have dinner with somebody. You, you didn't have to be best friends with everyone, but you knew every name in the game from like like top 50 lifters, really. You know, like it wasn't like I knew everyone's at least by yep. name or face. Um, where now, I mean, I, our gym's the same. Like, I don't I don't even know the number. But maybe maybe 60% of our members have no clue what me and Jim do or have done. Yeah, probably. They have no clue. And they have no clue about this space. They have no – and they're competitive power lifters. Like some of the, the – the, yeah, twenty-year-old kids probably do just because like YouTube and you know I've cr- consistently created content there. Um, and, and Barbara Brigade is obviously like our good friends, and, and and so there's some crossover there that they kind of know. But even within that, they probably know like Silent Mike, the YouTube guy, and not the rest of the story. Or, yeah, not that. Yeah, like how deep and powerlifting we actually are. Yeah, like because because YouTube is kind of the surface level, like me showing me training every day. But like yeah, the meets we ran, the people with you know the boss of boss meets we used to go to, et cetera, et cetera. The Arnold and everyone would hang out. Um, it is the landscape has changed so so much. Do you do you try to coach and, and help some of those guys at your gym, or are you, are you pretty hands off and just kind of observe, or do they even ask you? Yeah, so. Well, yeah, I, I coach quite a few guys from the gym. Um, I, I work with probably about 50 people right now at, at any moment. That's what I, I usually have. So most of those are obviously remote, but I'd say about six or seven come to the gym here and uh, I work with them and we, you know, we do meets and all that. So it's kind of like I've segued more from uh, it being all about my own lifting to uh, coaching a lot more guys. And that's kind of the natural progression of things. So I still like to lift heavy. And push deadlifts and bench, especially not squats anymore. Pretty much gave those up. But um, it, it is definitely more of a coaching role these days, as opposed to being the focus on myself. How does that work mentally for you? Is that that transition? Like, obviously, we've talked about a lot of different changes uh, in mentality and, and what we do. But has coaching, um, 
hit your heart in a way like fulfillment like you used, like you were known for training very passionately and, and, and getting after it like a like a motherfucker um does coaching hit that little sweet spot for your you know soul for, in lack of a better term yeah i mean i do love it i've been doing it for 10 years now so it's pretty much i mean it's been full time it's been my full time um job beyond the gym and personal training people and running classes. So it's, it's all a, a mix of all that. And it's, you're, you get to a point where you're at peace with what you've done. And now you're like trying to help other people. And I'm still trying to progress myself, obviously from like a drug-free perspective, but there is definitely a much greater focus on yeah. on others. And I'm cool with that. Yeah. I think, I, I think there's different mentalities in the world and some people like me, for example, like i never got fired up on my own lifts. But I've gotten super fired up when some of my guys live, like when Dan squatted 800 for the first mm-hmm. time. I was way more fired up for that than any lift I've ever done. Um, and obviously, like finding where you fit in matters a lot because you got to worry about your own happiness in a way too, and like what fulfills you long term or short term. Um, how about your own lifting, man? We know you smashed some weights over the weekend, but um, what do you think? Do you think there's an upper limit? I mean, you've lifted so long, you can kind of feel. I feel like where your strength can go or where it may can't maybe it can't go what's like top end you know the next three years pete rubish natty deadlift at you think i'm trying to shift my camera by the way to get the <laughs> charger to work i know that's it looks ridiculous but I'm, I'm trying to get it adjusted to where it will actually charge because it's uh the cord's all busted so if i the battery's getting low but um as far as what i want to do i think for 2023 i'd like to focus on a 750 pound deadlift in competition so the 705 was hitched so it was obviously red lighted in the meat but locking that out alone was like a huge accomplishment um i gained a lot of body weight going into that meet to try to try to hit some bigger numbers and you know the the jumps just aren't as big as they were on gear obviously so uh, a 750 pound deadlift in 2023 and like a, a 419 bench are kind of my goals and obviously squats out of the picture. So those are the, that's the main focus, but I think eventually getting to an 800 pound deadlift drug free would be, uh, be kind of neat. So that could be a couple years down the line or if it ever happens, but that would be the, the direction I'd like to go with things. What's leg, uh, training look like? Cause right now I'm, I'm on a similar path. I'm trying to hit a quick conventional PR, like lifetime PR just in the gym for shits and gigs before I chill on heavy, heavy lifting for a while. Um, but and literally, I grabbed a coach. Shout out to Joe, uh, and Joe Stanix coaching me, and, and I said, "Hey, man, you can program whatever you want. I'll listen to it, but I just you're focused to get my deadlift up. I don't give a fuck about the other lifts." And he still has me squatting a bunch um, to just keep general leg strength. Do you do any other leg stuff going on with your deadlift training? How do you how do you like yeah keep your leg strength well rounded rather than just deadlifting deadlifting? Yeah, so uh, for legs, Bulgarian split squats. Um, Bulgarian split squats have been huge for me. I, uh, I really pushed the envelope on those really, really heavy. So like before this last meet, I went up to eight reps each leg yeah, with 275 them. pounds. Um, so, yeah, I'm trying to hit my legs, and that's just a much more natural movement for me with my hips than the, the deep flexion required for a squat. So I can do those without a lot of wear and tear, and I do them once a week, and I still get a pretty good progression with those. And then obviously like the 45 degree back extensions are more for the low back and hamstrings, but I load those up really heavy once a week as well. And those are my two primary movements for uh, deadlift assistance. And I deadlift uh, twice a week. 
So that's kind of the split. It's like two lower body days spaced evenly three to four days apart with deadlift on each day, different variations, different intensity ranges. And then one of the days afterward, I do the, the back extensions as the accessory. And the other day is the split squat. So just one accessory, then I'm done with the day. Um, pretty long rest breaks to really do my best. And I, I've gotten into this thing with the uh, with deadlifts, lowering the bar as quietly as possible. So not slowly, but when I try to put down each rep, I try to make no noise. And this really conditions your low back. It's a very difficult thing. So that's really helped my deadlift progress as well. I don't know if it's a real thing or if it ever spread, but I've always called that the Ed Cone deadlift just because Ed deadlifts that way when he does reps. Like he kind of he kind of does like a slow eccentric. And I don't think he ever, th- I don't know, I actually never asked him if he like actually thought of it or whatever, but he's always kind of like deadlifted that way. Like you put it in a good term, like just setting it down quietly, um, kind of like a controlled without being like a tempo. Um, and I, I've, I've tended deadlift in the past a lot that way too. I, I think there's something to it as well because it, the way it kind of pulls you down into like an optimal starting position too, if you allow it, rather than people would drop it, let their hips fly around, mm. um, and the, slam the bar down. Yeah, and I think there's some, you know, there's some cases that that may help an individual too because, um, like your second or third rep in deadlift can be easier than your first sometimes, right? If you get a little momentum going, so. I think there's also a time for a certain lifter to set the bar down, take a step away, and come back, uh, like a full reset. But uh, I'm a big fan of kind of setting it down quietly, uh, like you're talking about as well. How do you load your Bulgarians? You do like a barbell on your back, or you try to just grab some heavy-ass dumbbells, or maybe a safety squat bar or something? Yeah, so I was doing them with dumbbells up until, like, we have 100-pound dumbbells that's as high as they go at our gym. So it got to a point where, obviously, that just wasn't enough weight. And I like the barbell, too, because the barbell, you don't have to worry about the grip component of things. I like to do grip separately on its own. So, like, all of my deadlifts are with straps, and I, I do grip as its own thing two to three days a week. So, I just prefer the barbell because there's infinite ability to load it, um, and you just you can complete you can take the focus and, and make it completely on the, the glutes and quads as sense. opposed to your grip. Looking at your uh, your video, um, I saw that the the back extensions are are you know barbell loaded, um, and you got the front end of the thing jacked up on plates, uh, and you're doing some like pretty serious weight with that. And how did you come upon uh, that uh, being a, a successful thing for you? The only guys I see pushing that like crazy is you and uh, Lou, the Chinese lifter who just got popped. Oh. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> maybe that's what it is. No, no, no. Yeah. Well, so the the reason I have this one jacked up is because um, it doesn't have quite the angle of better mm. built ones that I've used. So I've used uh, different variations with this in the past, different or different brands, I should say. And the angle's steeper, so there's more range of motion. So this one's just at a weird angle where it's so low that if I don't jack up the front, it's like there's no range of motion. But uh, this is a movement I saw probably 12 years ago from Josh Bryan. He was doing it with, to go back in uh, nostalgic, you know, nostalgia's time, Orlando Green, oh. I think was the name. Uh, was, was that his name? The 890 deadlifter? I think it was Orlando Green. He was a freak deadlifter that Josh Bryan trained. And he was doing this with like 405. And I was like, holy cats, I got to try this. So... I tried it out and it exploded my deadlift. Like I got faster off the floor, better lockout. It just it was an incredible exercise. And since ever since that time, 
it's been my go-to assistance movement that kind of helped my deadlift progress better than anything else. That's it. We're buying one. So, and you, you load it pretty heavy. Yeah. You go like, uh, sets of five, sets of eight, something like that. Yes, sir. Yeah. So the, the heaviest, I just for like, a an indicator lift type test before the meet, I did a single with 402, but when I was on like full on steroids and stuff, I did a single with 500 once. Um, but yeah, typically I'm doing one week of fives, one week of tens alternating. So this last day I did uh, three sets of five at 320. And this is just, it, there's no better low back assistance exercise than this. Like this is the, the most complimentary exercise to the deadlift I, I could find. I, I, I literally, it's, it's foolproof. If you do it, your deadlift's going to go up. So I swear by it. There's a, some of the Chinese guys will throw it uh, on their neck. You know, like a good morning, but yeah, but like on a GHR or on a back extension, it's crazy. And they're throwing, yeah, 225, 315 around, like psychos. Well, it's just the, the, the deadlift, the way you're doing it with like a deadlift, I've seen the greatest carryover because you're obviously, uh, it's more specific to the deadlift and you can load it heavier. So doing it this way, I've just, the, the carryover has been amazing. We're talking about about younger lifters now. If you were, if somebody walked into your gym right now and you were to decide that they would be a could be a good lifter, maybe could be a top lifter, what factors are you looking at? I'd say the explosiveness is the main thing. I can tell right away with somebody if they got it or not. So I've had a couple guys over the years where they have just freak explosive fast twitch ability, where their lifts look just fast that's the most that's the biggest distinction between someone who's going to be like a average lifter or someone who's going to be a great lifter is that speed component that explosiveness that was made famous by chris hickson and uh eric lillybridge and stuff that that i remember like we used to train in a manner where all our warm-ups we would pull them like a max and we just it was a contest to see who could pull the warm-ups the fastest and that is what led to the big weights. So whether it's deadlift, squat, bench, um, you have to lift your warm-ups with intent and with explosiveness. And when I see that in a guy, then then I know he's got some potential. So that's the main thing I would say that I look for um, is how explosive they lift. Um, what what about the, the mental game of it? Mentally, you got to be patient. Like, and this, I didn't have this myself when I was younger, but um, – the patience to not like go heavy constantly week after week, you have to peak, you have to plan out a 10 to 15 week training cycle to peak at the end and work up to those heavy weights as opposed to every training session going to failure. Um, there, most of your training sessions for the duration of a training cycle should be reps in the tank, more left over. You should feel like you could do more. They should be fast. You should lift fast. You should teach yourself to lift fast with room left in the tank instead of hitting grinders all the time. So guys who are willing to do that and uh, temper their expectations a little bit as far as the progression, they're going to do the best. You think um, being a coach or opening a gym itself uh, allows you to learn a little bit of patience? Or you think just getting older allows you to learn patience? Because I, I agree. I think patience is I think patience is number one attribute to anything, really, right? Like like business is no different than lifting, man. And it sounds so cliche until you start to like do it. But like you can't just deadlift 10 sets of 10 on a Monday once a month and expect to be the strongest deadlifter of all time, right? Like you got to do multiple sets, multiple reps for weeks and days and years and decades to be like the best. And business is the same. You can't just show up on Monday, like 
do like work, whatever that is, emails and fucking fix the toilet, and now your gym's dope. Like it's a little bit of work and weird shit all day, every day, forever. Um, like things just don't move. The the you can't like you can't work harder to add a hundred pounds to your deadlift. Like you can't outwork time. And same thing works for business. Um, or do you think it's just yeah we're old now and so we're forced to learn patience? I do think the uh, being older. <laughs> Is a huge part of it because my mind's just not at the same place it was when you're 20 years old and more reckless. You know, if you, uh, I'm 31 now. So no, you're old, bro. Old, you're fucking, like, it feels old. One, you got one foot in the I know. Grave. I'm an old guy. I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm at peace with that. <laughs> Welcome to the club, right? Um, so even I can look back and, and say, wow, that was, that was stupid and I shouldn't have done it that way or whatever. So it's hindsight and it's, uh, it's maturing and, you get to a point too where you're like, okay, life is not just lifting. It's not just about this. That's uh that can add to my life. That can be my passion and my hobby, but it's not the the end all be all, which is where I got to the point where I was like, okay, I need to stop mega dosing steroids and trend and such and uh, chill out a little bit because I want there to be something after lifting where I'm not like yeah. dead in my forties, which it's eye opening. You know, I was around Dallas yeah. all the mm-hmm. time, Dallas McCarver. We trained at the same gym in two locations. When we were, when we were in Lexington, Kentucky, we were at the same gym, and when we were in Knoxville, Tennessee, we were at the same gym. So I saw him for years, and uh, he was the same age as me. So when he passed away, it just was like I didn't think that was possible at twenty six. Freaked me out. And you know, Chris Hickson, same kind yeah. of thing. Boston Lloyd, all these guys. I was I was, you know, I was I wouldn't say somewhat I wouldn't say close to necessarily probably uh, Boston at the time was the one I was closest to. And then Chris Hickson, I hadn't spoken with him in a while, but that one really shocked me too. And these guys are 26, 29, 29. It's just like, you need to learn from it, you know? And it's just, it's one of those things. I just wouldn't wish that upon anyone. And yeah. you realize nobody's immortal because people are passing away in their twenties. So you start weighing you know, pros yeah. and cons. I mean, it's it, this year in particular, but even 2021, you know, the amount of deaths in the fitness space, big names, medium names, competitors, bodybuilding, powerlifting, it doesn't really matter. Like the numbers are astronomical. I felt like every day I was turning on Twitter or something and seeing a new death, um, you know, male, female, yeah, yeah, ages 25 to 35 from what, you know, no one really has an answer, but what seems to be performance enhancing drugs being manipulated of some nature, um, you know, or maybe the dieting and dehydration, whatever, but the, 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 the sports in general, uh, bringing them to the extreme, it, it was insane. Um, and I think you're right. Like knowing people, whether you're super close to them or not, or, you know, we talk about a lot of mental health stuff here too. Like death will, will change your perspective real quick. Um, if you're around it a lot, you know, I just happened to go through that when I was like 18, my best friend died and you're like, damn, yo, like this shit can happen to any time, anywhere. Um, and like you said, like finding things, I think it's important to have like such a passion and drive to get into something because that's the only way to become the best or learn a lot, right? Like you kind of have to be a little obsessed for a second to, to really want to like deadlift your face off and learn about it. Um, but then, well, you know, to bring the conversation around, the transition to becoming a coach or a businessman or just kind of lifting to feel good rather than like really pushing the limits, that transition is going to be a lot harder if powerlifting is all you know, 
if you don't think about family or other hobbies or business, if you don't kind of like everything you just explained that you went through of like having a little bit of step back or, or per perspective on life in general, um, having a couple more cards in your hand, it's going to make that transition to when people don't give a fuck about your your YouTube videos or whatever you're doing, it's going to hurt a lot worse, man. It's going to be hard either way. You know, we're, we all have egos and we all have businesses and, you know, different things, but um, it's going to be a real shock factor for some folks out there if they don't start to get a little perspective on this game of life. Yeah, that's true. I am, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I was thinking about the fact that, you know, when you're young, you 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 don't pace yourself but you have all all you potentially have all the time in the world and as you get older you realize that you have to pace yourself and you don't yeah. have all the time in the world and that in some ways that's even harder um, but it is difficult to tell a 20 year old to back off because they they won't always want to push it right right and you can't really learn until you do it you can take all the advice in the world but like until you go through some shit yeah you know you could go, we could go and talk to 16 year olds all day like hey Drugs are bad, and this is bad, and, you know, like, they ain't going to listen until they fucking see some shit or they do some shit, you know, and then you got to experience life to really learn. That's just kind of, humans are stubborn. Yeah, right? for sure. Or same thing, you're like, hey, man, deadlifting five times a week, maxing out, probably isn't a great idea. I've been there, hurts my back, like, but until they do it, they're not going to listen. No, for sure not. That's that's how I've been my whole life. I just, I have to make the mistake to learn from it. If someone told me to do something, it wouldn't be enough. So I'm very much like, let me screw up and do everything wrong, and then I'll figure it out. Yeah, it, yeah, it is tough yeah, love, you know. Uh, the hardest person to give tough tough love to is yourself, and sometimes the easiest person to give tough love to is yourself. It's yeah. it's uh, sometimes more tough than love. Yeah, or just yourself. lessons. Yeah, yeah, I just call them tough lessons. Yeah. So Pete, um, thanks for being on with us. Uh, where can I know you do some coaching and and stuff? Where can people find you? Find your coaching. Uh, yeah, find your gym find if you're your traveling or, or close by. Yeah, so our gym is uh, Coa Strength and Fitness in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, uh, KOA, Coa Strength. And then for coaching, PR, PRStrength1 at gmail.com. Um, just go through email. And, yeah, been doing that for a while. So I feel pretty good about uh, getting awesome. people's results. Dope, man. Thanks so much for uh, taking the time, and hopefully we'll – Run into you. There's a small chance we're going to go to the Arnold or some fitnessy style events. I know that's probably a medium drive from you. Probably not too crazy. Yeah, could be worse. Five that's hours. just the Midwest, dude. Yeah, it's so nice. Everyone just not kind of schmobs no. into Columbus. We got to take a six hour flight in the snow and oh. bullshit. <laughs> Things. Yeah. It's always snowing, too. Always. Yeah. I know. That's why I tell everyone we have a our, our lead coach here is competing at the usapl pro meet there um and it's like our first really really big meet she did nationals and stuff but that's vegas so it was like a 40 minute flight right. so now we're going to the arnold and all that i'm like dude it's snowy there's gonna be a shit ton of fucking people like it's a whole different world when you head to an expo like that and i, and I, I haven't um we got some news that the arnold expo part is a little unsold for sponsors and stuff and some big sponsors pulled out but um, pictures and stuff of the Olympia look crazy. So I think expos are slowly coming back because of this new generation. Maybe so. You know, for so many years, they're like meeting the same folks, but now it's pumping off. So hopefully we, we cross paths with you, buddy. Um, it was good chatting. 
ladies and gentlemen, yes, brand new episode uh, yes, every Wednesday and Friday. I'm Solomon Mike, where you want to find me, 3sb.co if you want to check things out. Thanks so much for listening. I'm at the Jim McDee on all the social media. This show is 50% facts, where percent is a word, 50 is just numbers. 50% facts is a Spreaker Prime podcast in association with iHeartMedia on the Obscure Celebrity Network. And we'll talk to you next time.